everybody. Thank you for tuning into my podcast, Keeping It Real with Caramel, as we say 100. I have a very special guest coming on today. Um, his name is David Eldcott. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. How are you doing? I am great. I am great. I'm here in wonderful Orlando, Florida, so I think it's great for me. You know, it's, you know the weather is good. <laughs> Enjoy. Right. So tell everybody, you know, where you're from and what you do. So I'm uh, living in New York now. I'm a professor at uh, New York University, uh, teaching clinical psychology and and contemporary issues. And uh, I published a, a book last year, just a little, just about a year ago. Um, actually, less than a year ago. Now that I think about it, it was last January. Um, I called faith. Uh, nationalism is the future of liberal democracy, trying to understand why there is such tensions in sustaining democracy, not only in the United States, but around the world. So when you say that, so why do you, have you come up with the reason why, or are you still researching it, or um, you pretty much know um, why well, we have I some... Been, I traveled around the United States, uh, particularly uh, interviewing doing surveys, uh, focus groups in churches across the country from the Deep South to the West, North, um, New England, trying to understand how people are connecting their faith to their politics. At the same time, uh, I did research in around the world, in Indonesia, um, throughout Europe, India, Myanmar, places that I um, are noticing similar patterns of religious nationalism. And so, yeah, so this, is a, this was a research project. It's not the type of thing you can just uh, imagine on your own. So it meant a lot of talking, a lot of meeting, a lot of reading, uh, and, and listening to what other people had to say. Right. And, of course, and, of course, watching the events in the world and trying to make sense of why those events are occurring, from the insurrection here on January 6th um, to, to what just happened in Germany, uh, where they arrested uh, a number of people for attempting a, a revolt against the government and to kill the prime minister, to India's policies towards Muslims. Um, so, yes, uh, yeah, a lot of research, a lot of work around the world trying to see what's going on. Yeah, and there's a lot going on in the world, and, and we both know that. And so with these people, with everybody's different religion, so do you go to each, you know, each church and try to figure out what's going on with them, or you just go to, you know, talk to people with different religions? No, both. Being in America was particularly focusing on evangelical churches, trying to understand um, why they believe what they believe in terms of their politics and in what ways does their religious um, faith uh, inform their political decisions. But then also it meant going in India and meeting with people in Indonesia, uh, meeting with people trying to understand the politics there as well. So, yeah, it's, you know, and like I said, it's matching the events that you're seeing with these conversations, reading what they have to say, listening to their speeches. Right. 
And I know that you have a, a, a book out, you know, it's called Faith. So can, tell us a little bit about the book that you have out. So the book is attempting to do exactly what we've been speaking about. It looks at um, United States, and it looks at Europe in particular, although it also has some focus on India, Israel, Indonesia, Brazil, or other countries around the world. And its goal was to try to make sense, maybe in a way to bridge worlds between what the liberal democratic world, you know, the people on the East Coast and the West Coast, not, not the East Coast down to Florida, but, you know, New England, New yeah. York, New Jersey, Washington, D.C., California, Washington, Oregon, to look at the way they are seeing the world and then going to the middle of the country and the deep south and trying to understand the way they are seeing the world and seeing is there a way to bridge it? Is there a way to make connections between the two very, very what sounds like and feels like very oppositional sides? Uh, and at the same time to hold true to to my own views about what democracy needs to be in the protection of those most vulnerable and marginalized in our society. Okay. Okay. And so you was a vice president of the National Center for Learning and Leadership? That, that's true. That was a number of years ago. I've been a professor at New York University for 14 years, and actually now I'm teaching as part of a phenomenal program uh, run in New York State by an organization called Hudson Link to provide college education degrees for um, people who are incarcerated in prison. So right now I'm actually teaching at a maximum security prison, teaching a number of men who are seeking to get their bachelor's degree. Oh, that is super nice. That's it is pretty amazing. Yeah, it is actually. So when you was growing up, do you ever think that you will be doing what you're doing today? Yeah, I have to say, I I, I was um, born into an immigrant family in uh, Cal- rural California when I was pretty much different from everybody else. The, community in which I lived was um, very Christian, very familiar from the Midwest, Appalachia, pretty conservative, you know, and a lot of guys who played football, six foot tall, blonde guys, and I was shorter and dark, and as I said, from an immigrant family, Jewish, and um, so I knew what it felt like to be marginalized, and it came from a family because they fled Europe. Um, because of oppression, I was part of a family that was very committed to civil rights and human rights. So pretty much from the beginning, I was I was committed to engage in all that I could to try to to again to bridge these conflicts and to create a more compassionate um, and egalitarian world. So yeah. Oh wow. So do you ever think that that the that the religion is going to ever come together as one, or you think it's always going to be a problem that everybody going to have their own? I know that everybody has their own religion, but do you think that we'll come as one and we'll actually see the same um, in some way? Core values. Yeah. Um, right now, it's hard to see that. I'd like to think that, of course, it's possible. I'd like to think that the core of people's faith. People's religious beliefs is, a, is, again, a sense of compassion and justice and mercy and righteousness. Right now, it's hard, you know, it's hard to see that in the world the way that um, that various religious groups, 
this particular moment, there is not one world religion that is not trying to dominate others and in sense suppress um, the rights of other groups, whether it's whether it's Christians in a, in in Europe, in the United States, or Jews in Israel, or Muslims in Indonesia, or Buddhists in Myanmar, or Hindus in India. All the great religions right now have um, not that they're all like that, but within each of the great religions, there are groups that are truly oppressing others in the name of God, which is, again, part of the reason I wrote the book, because I felt like, uh, you know, somebody's got to defend a God that is, that believes in justice and in goodness and equality, not a God that believes in triumph and destroying, destroying those who don't agree with you. That is true. So you and some co co-authors was was um got together and decided to write a um a book together, correct? Yes. And so I, mean, I was the I was the main author of the book and then I brought in some really brilliant scholars to each do a chapter of their specialization. So what what made you decide to do that? Um, just to bring every, someone else, you know, other authors in to write a part of this book. with others. So, for example, two of the people, uh, two of the, the scholars, uh, Volker and Tobias, are German. And my family fled Germany. Much of my family was killed in the Holocaust. And each of them had family members who fought for the Nazis. So think about that in terms of crossing boundaries. You know, only a generation two later, uh, we could join together to write a book about about um, justice and 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 righteousness. And um, my Catholic colleague, a professor at Fordham, uh, Colt Anderson, is just a brilliant theologian. And again, he knew so much about um, understanding. Uh, the Catholic Church and its history and why those within the Catholic Church were calling for, you know, extreme um, conservative views, why that is not within the, the long patristic tradition of the Church. So, yeah, so it was, I want to model the very collaboration which I am promoting in the book. That is really good. I mean, you you gave them an opportunity to express themselves into the book as well, and and I feel like that is a good thing because everybody has a different view of. Although we really shared, mm-hmm. we shared this commitment to a liberal democracy that that can defend those most vulnerable. Um, you know, as it says in the Bible, the most repeated commandment of the Bible is you shall care for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger in your midst because you were slaves in the land of Egypt. And this is something that the four of us who wrote this could share, that commitment to, again, those most vulnerable, or particularly the stranger, those who, who aren't exactly like us, that we would take care of them and defend them and protect them. Right. And so why do you feel like now um, they took, you remember when we was growing up that we used to pray in school? Now they took, now they took it out of school. Why do you think that they took, um, you know, things, you know, the, the prayers from school? Or well, so, you know, I'm a great example. Um, you know, 
know, a, a little Jewish kid in a school that overwhelmingly is Christian, and they're going to have prayers that are going to pray in the name of Jesus, which is definitely something that they should be doing, but should they be doing that in school? And then what happens to me when, when they're doing that? And they can say, oh, you don't need to participate. But what does that do to a six-year-old kid mm-hmm. who, uh, who is by himself, you know, when everybody else is doing something? Even today, the, the Supreme Court ruled that a uh, coach of a football team can go to the middle of a 50-yard line at the end of a game, go on his knee and pray, and invite any of his um, of his players to join him. Now, I'm a player, and I want to play. I want the coach to like me. What does that do to me? When do I go and pray there? Because I feel like if I don't, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get respected by the coach. He's not gonna let me play. So even today, even though you see we don't have prayer in school, even today there's real tensions over this on how to play this out in America. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I know that a lot of kids these days um, don't really know about religion. Um, only because I feel like their family doesn't teach that or someone doesn't teach the kids. Um, now it's more, to me, I see it's more, you know, evilness in the world a little bit. Um, a lot of people are getting, you know, killed or something is going on. You know, um, it's, they don't know about, you know, about the man above. You know what I mean? Well, actually, it is true that the largest religious growth in the United States is the growth of the nuns, the the ones who aren't joining any particular denomination. But when you ask people if they believe in a higher being, if they believe there is something beyond, you know, what we see, and if they believe some way in God and see themselves as spiritual, the numbers shoot up very, very high. So the question you maybe want to ask then is, in what ways are the religious movements, the religious denominations, whatever Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever it is, um, in what ways are they not fulfilling the needs, the spiritual uh, needs of their community? Right? And that people are saying, look, I, I believe, but I don't want to belong to your church or your synagogue or your temple or your mosque. I think that's a real, a real challenge. Uh, a real challenge today for for the leaders, religious leaders around the country, and it's even more so in Europe, where even fewer people go to church. Uh, so I think the task may be how to interpret religion in the 21st century. I think in addition, where churches have become highly politicized. Um, younger people are saying, wait a second, I'm not coming to church for that. I'm coming to church for something else. So there's a lot to consider there. Oh, yeah, yes, it is. Well, you know, I I think that it is a lot of things to consider, but I I think that we should know a little bit more about it. I think a lot of kids should know a little bit more about it. I know I teach my daughter about it, you know, because I want her to know. Um, but in other hand, um, I guess people live the way they live. So, well, it's uh, remarkable. It is actually remarkable that in my students, 
uh, at the university, it's remarkable how few of them know anything about the Bible. You know, if I wanted, like, tell, I, I'll say something like, well, you remember in the story of the Exodus and Moses, and they'll go like, who's Moses? <laughs> so you're right. Right, exactly. So I I try to teach my daughter, um, and, you know, she take it as she will, but at the same time, we try to, you know, you know, keep that in, into our family, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, so like everybody has their own way of, of raising their children or how they was raised or however it was, you know? So, but it's been a pleasure talking to you. I mean, you are amazing, and you're out here researching something that should is, like, super amazing. And hopefully you find your answers and share it with me when you do find everything, all the answers that you need. And um, tell everybody how they can contact you if they want to contact you, if they want to, you know, research or if they want to, you know. Sure. Um, I can be reached at uh, lowercase D-E, my name David Elcott, D-E, 552 at NYU.edu. I never heard of that one before, but that was great. <laughs> All right. So, David, you take care. Thank you for finishing. You too. Thank you. Okay. All Bye-bye. right. Bye-bye.